So Money Episode 545, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. From retirement savings to tax refunds, I've got your questions answered. Welcome to Ask Farnoosh, everyone. It's Friday, March 10th. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. This is Ask Farnoosh on So Money. And joining us as always is Sophia. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. So it is March 10th, and we are recording this ahead of March 10th, obviously, because we have to. Uh, we, have, <laughs> we have some... Uh, some things we need to get accomplished and including the delivery of my daughter, which I would hope that by March 10th, she has arrived, if not sooner. (laughs) My due date is March 7th. So it's possible that I'm still very pregnant as you are hearing me. Anyway, it's just one of those wait and see moments. But in the meantime, we have a lot of great questions from our listener, Sophia, including a comment from Victoria, who has a great tip, a great story about how she negotiated a bigger salary. Tell us what happened. Yeah. So after listening to our year-end wrap on negotiating and earning your worth, she decided to go for it and negotiate for the first time in her life. And she recently received a new job offer but wanted more pay. So she asked and the response was, sorry, there aren't enough funds to meet that request. And then after a good cry, she sent back her response declining the position and thanking them for their consideration. And then only three minutes later, she got an email saying they reconsidered and would pay her what she she wanted and she said it was a real so money moment for her. I say so. And it sounds like this was done, I don't know, it sounds like it was done via email. Yes. A lot back and forth, which yeah. is, a, you know, that can be an advantage sometimes because you can take a breath, you can take a pause, you can think about it, you can write a response that isn't super emotional. And it sounds like she stood up for herself and demanded what she wanted, although in a, in a, in a very friendly way. And sometimes you have to walk away in order to get what you want. I think that's my lesson here or her lesson. (laughs) It's my interpretation of her lesson is that you have to be willing to walk away. And I think that's true in a lot of negotiating books, like whether you're negotiating a deal, a job, you have to want it, but not that much because a part of you has to be willing to walk away. Because when you do, then the other party, I think for the first time, maybe then realizes your value and all the hard work that went into meeting with you, discussing the deal with you, they're invested too. Like that's actually something that we should remember is that we're not the only ones invested in that job because we want it and we want the salary. The hiring party who has invited us in and you know had a few meetings with us at this point, now we're talking about money. That time has all been spent on you, not somebody else. So by you walking away, that you know will make them probably think twice. And it's so great that they realized it. So congratulations, Victoria. And we love hearing from people, not just their questions. A reminder, please send us your wins as well. I think maybe she took my my tip a couple episodes ago where I was like, tell us your so many moments, you know, because we want to learn from each other that way too. So thanks so much, Victoria. All right, we have some help to give to Christina, right? She is swamped in student loan debt. 
Yeah, so right now she has 35000 in student loans with interest rates ranging from 68 to 8.5%. And she also has $15,000 in credit card debt, which she was able to transfer to a 0% interest rate card for 18 months. But she's considering requesting a forbearance on her student loans so she can tackle that credit card debt because she can't seem to do both at the same time. So she's wondering what she should do. All right. So first things first, call your lender, Christina. Call your loan officer, your student loan lender, and let them know the position that you're in. I don't recommend forbearance as a practice. I think that should be a last resort. And frankly, you have to qualify for forbearance. And so what is forbearance? Essentially, you, with the agreement of your loan manager, your lender, basically put off the loan for a period of time. It could be months. It could be years. Just keep in mind that the interest will continue to accrue on that loan and you can choose to pay the interest during the period of forbearance or you can have it accrue and then pay the interest upon interest upon interest when you're back to paying the bill when you're ready. So you may wake up to an even bigger student loan at the end of the forbearance period. That's the reality because the interest has been tacking on and on and on. So just be aware of that. But really, you have to contact your lender and see what they say if if they even think you'll qualify. Usually the rule of thumb is that if your student loans exceed 20% of your income, that's a a sign that you are in kind of a financial bind and you may qualify for forbearance. Uh, Other times your loan officer, your lender might say, look, Christina, you know, yes, we could do forbearance, but also we could modify your loan. You know, we could stretch out the term. In some cases, instead, if it's a 10-year loan, they'll make it a 20-year loan, which doesn't mean you're going to necessarily pay less over 20 years. You'll probably end up paying more, but it does mean that your monthly payments will go down. So if you're looking for month-to-month relief, that could be an adjustment that would give you some breathing room. But really the first step here, Sophia, is that she needs to call her lender and see what is possible. And along the way, you know, A lot of us, in order to get out of these financial sticky situations, we find a way to make a little bit more money on the side. And even if it's just an extra $100 a month or $200 a month through babysitting, pet sitting, freelance writing, doing odd jobs, running errands for your neighbors, that while it's not maybe your, your favorite kind of work, it is money that can help to erase your debt faster without necessarily going through these modifications, these kinds of forbearance practices. So that would be another bit of advice for you, Christina. Just kind of think outside the box a little bit too, as far as like, what can you do in your spare time, maybe even passively to bring in an extra few hundred dollars a month to really get your debt out of the picture. All right, let's talk about retirement now from Nicole. She wants to know how to do better with her retirement savings. Yeah. So right now she's thinking about starting a supplemental retirement account, but she's not really sure what makes the most sense for her. And so she's leaning towards an IRA to reduce her taxable income and wants to know what you think. All right. So we actually did a story for mint.com not too long ago on traditional versus Roth IRA, which one is right for you. And also there are other types of IRAs out there like a self-directed IRA. There's SEP IRAs for business owners. Nicole, I think if you have an if you have a retirement plan at work, which sounds like she does, and now she wants to kind of do something else because she has some money left over and wants to supplement her retirement. I think that 
you know, either a Roth or traditional IRA could be beneficial. If you do want to reduce your taxable income today, then a traditional IRA is the route to take because that's the way that that works. You pay into the account, that contribution reduces your taxable income up to this year, $5,500. With a Roth IRA, you do not reduce your taxable income today with that contribution, but the money grows. And then in retirement, when you pull it out, you do not have to pay taxes on that withdrawal, which is the benefit there. So depending on what kind of benefit you're looking for tax-wise, those are the two differences between the Roth and the traditional. Now, there is some background information that she gave us too, right? Which is that she and her husband make a combined income of $146,000 annually. So in my mind, she still can qualify for the Roth IRA if that is something that later she decides she wants to do. The Roth IRA does have income limitations for people who participate. But I imagine that if it's like a combined income of one forty six. Thousand that maybe she's making 80 and he's making 80 or 70 or 80 or whatever it is, you'll still qualify. And she's a teacher, which means that she probably has a 403B at work. Maybe she has a pension. So start with also exhausting all the different offerings that your employer may provide. And then think about opening up an, an individual retirement account. But it sounds like they want to really reduce their taxes. So if that's the case, then the traditional IRA would be the best. All right, who's next? All right, so our next question is from Richard, and we're taking a little bit of a turn because it's about debt. Right now, he's getting around $4,000 in taxes back this year, and he has $16,000 in debt. And so to reduce his debt, he has three settlement offers right now that would clear about $12,000 for only $2,000. So he wants to know what you think. Settlement. Wow. Okay. So I'm a little worried about settlement offers just because I hope you understand what this is going to, to mean on your credit report, Richard. So when a settlement company comes to you and says, we will settle your debt for, in this case, like pennies on the dollar, that's a quick fix for you and could sound great because you're like, wow, two thousand. I pay $2,000. They wipe out 12. I pocket 10. Basically, that gets reported on your credit report as a settlement and that you did not actually pay your debt in full. And that has a huge negative impact on your credit report and therefore your credit score. So be very mindful of this. If you are somebody who in the next few years wants to buy a car, wants to buy a house, wants to take out a personal loan, a credit card, a business loan, and you want to apply for a loan and your credit's going to play a factor in that, this could prevent you from getting access to credit in the future, in the near future. I've seen it happen before. And so there's the advantage that this is going to get you out of debt quickly, but the cost you're going to pay is the price on your credit report. And that could mean not having access to funds in the near future. So just be sure you understand how these settlement offers will get reported on your credit report. That's really important. You're getting this $4,000 tax refund I say put it all towards the debt, you know, and work your own way out of this. It's really important too psychologically, and we've talked about this on the show before, and Sophia, you know, I think you agree too. It's like sometimes the slower way is the better way to get out of debt. Definitely. It, it, it means that like you have to actually go through the motions of putting away your income, which you would normally want to spend on other things 
towards the dead, which is, it kind of is a bummer. You know, it's like, it's the dead. It's, it's stuff that you bought in the past. You don't even remember what you bought with it, but it's now your responsibility. And going through that motion, even if it takes two years, three years, four years, I think will be a lifelong lesson and it will prevent you from falling back onto bad habits again in the future. More likely than if someone comes in and goes, I'm going to wipe out all your debt and all you have to pay me is, you know, 10 cents for every dollar that I, that I uh, wipe out for you. I just think that it can give you a clean slate, but it can also have bad repercussions down the road. Just think about the long-term ramifications, Richard. And I know that he mentioned with his tax refund, he was looking to save some of it in an emergency account because that needs replenishing. He wants to change the carpet in his home. But, you know, maybe you put 3000 of that towards the debt, 1000 in savings, and then you just continue to really pay off the debt. Maybe you can do the snowball method, which I know he's a fan of Dave Ramsey too, where you start with a lower balance, a card that has a few hundred bucks on it, pay that off. It'll feel really good. It'll give you the encouragement and the motivation to tackle the rest of the debt. So that's what I would say, Richard. I'm sorry if it's not what you wanted to hear, but I'm not going to be a cheerleader for debt settlement offers. I really want to know how they're going to get reported what's going to be the long-term ramification. And if you are somebody who wants to access credit again in the future, in the near future, this is serious. This could really set you back. Okay. And so let's see one more question from Miss Stephanie. Tell us what she'd like to know. So she recently was gifted some money and she knows if she keeps it in her main savings account, she'll just spend it. So she's thinking of putting it into a money market account so that it's out of sight and earning interest, but she doesn't know much about them. So she wants to know if you think this is a good option if, and if there are any hidden fees that she should be aware of. Hmm. I have money in a money market account. It's just, a, it's, it's basically my savings account for one of my accounts and I have not touched this in a very long time because I can't transfer money in and out of it very easily, which has been a blessing because every time I've wanted to, <laughs> I've gotten lazy about it because I probably have to like call the bank or go to the bank or do some sort of like, you know, out of the box move maneuver to be able to, to, to access this money. It's not super liquid is the point. And if Stephanie knowing herself, which is a great way to know how to manage your money, know yourself. And she knows herself and she's saying, if I keep this in a savings account with a debit card attached to it, it's going to be done in a week. And so, yes, Stephanie, finding these accounts like a money market account, sometimes even an online account that is not a money market account, but is just a traditional account in terms of just the fact that it's a plain vanilla savings account, but it's online and it doesn't come with you know, a debit card or you can't access the money through an ATM. It can only be accessed by first transferring it to another account and having that extra step could be enough for you to keep the money intact and not be tempted to withdraw it on a whim. Um, I used to do that before I had the money market account. I had this online account that was for all intents and purposes. It may have been like a Swiss bank account because I was never going to get to touching it. It was just I threw out the debit card that came with it. I pretended like this was just money that I would add to and not to subtract from. And it worked. Are there fees attached to a money market account? She asks. There shouldn't be. Not to be confused with a money market mutual fund, which is different. Just to give you some, you know, finance 101 on the two, a money market account, one that many banks offer, 
usually you can get them on an online bank, a brick and mortar bank. These are accounts that are insured by FDIC and a money market mutual fund by contrast, not FDIC insured because it is tied to an investment. It's subject to risk. So just keep that in mind. A money market fund is a deposit vehicle that's similar to just regular savings. It does gain a little bit of interest. It does get the FDIC insurance limit of up to $250,000 per deposit per institution. But a money market mutual fund, that's where you might see some fees. That's where you may see more volatility and more risk. So in her case, it sounds like she's looking at a money market fund. And in my experience, money market funds at banks are set up in such a way where it's not so easy to withdraw the money on a whim, which could be a good thing for her. So thanks for writing in, Stephanie. Glad you know yourself that well (laughs) to know how your personality should line up with how you bank. That's a good lesson to end on. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And Sophia, what can I say? Thanks for (laughs) holding down the fort. Of course. While this baby decides to come due. (laughs) We can't wait to meet her. We can't wait to have her in this so many community. (laughs) (laughs) You'll know. You'll all know very soon. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Have a great weekend. And I hope it's so money. 